And please be seated. Take out your Bibles. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't own a Bible, please take one home with you. Matthew 18. We continue the study of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ is recorded for us by one of his disciples, one of the eyewitnesses. We continue now, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself, and he set him before them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now it starts off, verse 1, at that time. It, there's a little bit of a, a story that is, that's left out, because here we are in a home in Capernaum, but there's a little bit of transition that takes place from the time, remember last week when, when Jesus cast out, or two weeks ago, cast out the demon possessed, the demon out of the boy that was demon possessed, remember that, after they came down off the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a little transition that Mark tells us about in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, and I'll read these couple of verses to you. From there, they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. <laughs> Verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And then we get to chapter 18 that we're in this morning. So we miss out that little conversation, that little exchange that is taking place. Jesus going along again and, and speaking with them, telling them what he's already told them before, that he must suffer, that he must die, that he must rise again. But it says they still didn't understand it. They still were really wrestling with it, and they were afraid to talk to Jesus about it. But they continue on. No doubt Jesus probably out in front a little bit, and they're in the back, and, and they're, it tells us that they're arguing over who is the greatest amongst them. And you can only imagine what that discussion was probably like, right? I mean, coming along, Peter's like, well, of course, I'm the greatest. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And then one of them probably piped up, and yeah, just a few minutes later, he said, get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> I mean, who are you to be that? And, and then Peter, James, and John, well, it must be one of us, because it was the three of us that he took up on top of the mountain. And no doubt, maybe Matthew piped up and said, that's because he can't leave you alone. He, had to, he has to keep a closer eye on you. So, oh, yeah, sure. And when we come back down, you couldn't even cast out the demon. You know, you could almost tear it, right? <laughs> almost probably one of them saying, hey, hey, Jesus, Matthew won't quit looking at me, <laughs> right? He keeps touching me, you know, just like kids in the back of the car, right? <laughs> and these are the apostles. <laughs> these are the, this is the A team. They're in a heated argument, discussing who is the greatest. They still don't get it. 
They still don't understand. They still don't embrace it. And again, instead of going to Jesus, he's right there. They're afraid to ask him. They're discussing it amongst themselves. This isn't the end of this, by the way. We're going to see... Later on, actually, John records for us that, that John and, and James, his brother, they, they send mom to go talk to, to Jesus and say, hey, when you come into your glory, can you have my sons, James and John, sit on your right and your left hand? And Jesus said this to her, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea. They still, they, they don't understand what this means. They think Jesus, again, going to be king, rule on this earth now in, in our story, and they want to be cabinet members, you know? They want the power and the prestige that comes along with being close to the, the king. Something that we need to understand, even that is so illustrated for us here perfectly in this, is the question, why do we fight? Why is it that we argue? Why is there contention amongst people? And even more specifically, why is there contention still amongst Christians? Now, we might all have our own opinions, but if we look at the Word of God, it's very clear. Proverbs says, Proverbs 13.10, conflict comes from pride. That's where it comes from. James says, James chapter 4, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The source, your pleasures. Pride is the issue. I know that every disagreement I ever have, that's the problem that they have is pride. <laughs> Jesus tells us it's recorded in this same conversation that they're having here that Matthew records for us in Mark's gospel. He says, if anyone wants to be first... He shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus, from the very lips of our Lord, you want to be first? You got to be last. You need to be a servant. You want to win? Give in. Doesn't make any sense with the way the world is. But that's what the Word of God teaches to us over and over and over again. Paul tells, or, yeah, Paul tells us in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing. Nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do nothing in selfish ambition. Everything we should consider one another more important. The kingdom of God takes the world and turns it upside down, or right side up. The world's what's upside down. Jesus does address their question in a roundabout way. They, who, is, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? First of all, before he gets to greatness, he says, make sure you get in. You must be converted. That means to, to turn around. Literally means, that word converted means to leave one for another. Isaiah records for us, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Forsake his way, forsake the way of the world, forsake sin, and turn to, return to the Lord. And it says he will have compassion and abundantly pardon. To be converted, 
need to become like children, Jesus says in our text. Become like children. Not childishness. They got that down. We have that down. It's not, not to be childish. It's to be childlike. And specifically, notice, Jesus said to become like this child. Now, we don't know anything else about this child than what is recorded for us in just the verse that we just looked at here. But what can we draw from this verse that's about this child that we all must be like? Well, first, this child trusted Jesus. This child responded to the call of Jesus. And I wonder how many are in here this morning that have heard Jesus call over and over and over again and have not responded. You being here today is, doesn't, is not any indication of the fact that you have responded to the call of Jesus. There are many that fill churches that have never responded to the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus is to surrender, to give your life to. I wonder how many may be here today. Maybe it's you. Respond to the call of Jesus today as this child did. He trusted. He surrendered to Jesus. He gave up what he was doing. It doesn't tell us, but I'm going to go out on a limb. This child wasn't hanging on every word of Jesus. How do I know? Ever try to keep the attention of a child? Especially when you're having an adult conversation? This child was probably over in the corner doing what children do, building a little dirt castle or who knows, but probably wasn't hanging on every word. This is an adult conversation that's going on here. He didn't say, hang on, Jesus, I'm playing with my friends, or maybe next time. He surrendered to Jesus. He gave up what he was doing, and he was obedient to Jesus. He did exactly what Jesus said. He came to him. Now, we might just gloss over that real quickly, but understand how difficult that was for this child. They lived in a very different time than we do now. It was absolutely unheard of for a child to interrupt an adult conversation then. Not so today, huh? <laughs> I want a second bowl of ice cream and just whatever it might be. Never there. And for this child to then walk in front of at least 13 adult men, maybe even more, that took a lot. No doubt, in order to get through it all, he kept his eyes on Jesus as he just kept on going through, not paying attention to what the others might be thinking or saying, focused on Jesus. And he humbled himself before Jesus and all of the others. He didn't say as he's walking up to Jesus, well, I guess that answers the question, who's the greatest? <laughs> he simply did what Jesus said. The, the answer to the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we know what they're asking. Who amongst Men is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Almighty God. And he gives us the perfect example of this to follow. This isn't something that Jesus just said. Here it is, this example in this boy. Jesus himself is the example. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. 
He did not abandon his deity in a way that we'll never understand. He remained fully God as he became fully man. It's impossible for him. His essence is deity. But he emptied himself. We saw that he emptied himself of his, his revealed glory as he became a man. We saw that temporarily done away with on the Mount of Transfiguration. He emptied himself of all of the honor that he is due sitting on his throne. Isaiah 53 tells us that he came to his creation and he was despised and rejected. He emptied himself of the independent use of his own authority. He says, I do nothing except what the Father tells me to do. Voluntarily, moment by moment, he submitted himself to human limitations, yet without sin. We will never understand that condescending step that Jesus took when he stepped off the throne in heaven to become one of us. He emptied himself. He humbled himself, becoming obedient completely to the Father's will, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Why? To save you and me. The perfect, ultimate example. And Paul goes on to say, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. James tells us to humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. This whole thing is turned on its head from what the world proclaims and what the world forces down our throat regularly. Humility equals greatness. Exactly opposite of what the world says. Even when we have this example that Jesus gives us as children, or in the example of himself, we still struggle in our flesh. We still struggle with this. Two boys sitting around the kitchen table, and there's the last ego pops up. And they start fighting over the ego, and it's who's going to get the ego. And, and mom says to them, boys, remember the example that Jesus gave to us. Give let the other have. You humble yourself like Jesus. And the boy said, okay, I'm going to humble myself and let you be Jesus. <laughs> Don't get it. Still struggle with it. Humility requires vulnerability. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to be stepped on, to be run over. Humility requires vulnerability, but humility leads to invincibility. Conversion, Jesus says here. Conversion is entrance into the family of God. The ultimate my dad can beat up your dad experience. <laughs> the family of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? John writes in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. How great a love, a love that goes beyond anything that we, can, that we can manufacture, that we can experience anywhere else. A love that, as it's described for us, would have been beyond anything we deserve if it would have only saved us from hell. If it would have only delivered us from eternal hell. That would have been enough. But that's not where it ends. That's not where it stops. That we would be called children 
of God. Just let that sink in for a second. It's the radical difference between a presidential pardon and presidential privileges. We're not just pardoned. We are brought into the family of God and we get to, we get to live the, that for eternity as children of Almighty God. Has bestowed, that's in the perfect tense. That means that because of a past completed action, there's ongoing results and these results go on for eternity. Now we look at that verse 1 that John records for us and ask, can it get any better than that? Yes. Verse 2. Verse 1 says what we are. Verse 2 says what we will be. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We know certainty that when, not if, he appears, we will be like him. Now that does not mean we will become him. Does not mean that we're going to be little Jesuses, little mini-me's running around. That's not, that's not what that means. It says that he is the, the firstborn among many brethren. That speaks of preeminence. He is far superior. He always will be. We will never achieve that, that level. What this means, however, is that final stage for us as Christians, when we are born again, that moment when we accept him as, as Lord and Savior in our lives, that is the justification. That's a once, in a once in an eternity experience for every believer. Justification. It's a way to remember it's just as if I'd never sinned. My sin gets transferred from my account onto his, and he paid it all for me. Justified. Sanctification is the process, and as we go through our Christian walk to become more and more like him, this is speaking of that final step of glorification, when we stand before him face to face. We will see him just as he is, in all of his glory, forever. Heaven is going to be awesome for a lot of reasons. We're going to be reunited with loved ones who have gone on before us. We're going to get to hang out with all of these great men and women that are in the Bible. We're going to get to hang out with the disciples. We're going to get to talk to them about this, this stuff and say, yeah, I laughed when we talked about it, but I, I relate. I'm just like you. Yeah, I'm just I'm going to get walk streets of gold. But nothing, nothing compares to what the absolute glory of heaven will be, and that is uninterrupted fellowship face-to-face -face with Jesus. And that's all ahead for us as children of God. Well, back to our text, verse 5. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man whom through the stumbling block comes. Jesus speaks of two different aspects here. We are to be receiving, not deceiving. He gives us a wonderful invitation and opportunity as believers, but gives a dreadful warning to those who might stumble others. 
He speaks of rewards and punishment. There is a change a little bit in the tone of what he is saying. He's no longer talking about about physical children. He's talking about children of God, the little ones who believe in me, believers, those that the Father loved so much that he sent his only son to die for. And he says, whoever receives, whoever accepts, whoever welcomes, whoever totally embraces is what that is referring to. He says, if whoever does that to someone else, does it as unto me. Physically, we can look at that physically. Jesus will say later, we will see this in a few chapters, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And they're going to say, when did we ever do that? And he's going to say, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it as unto me. It's an amazing thing to, to, to grab a hold of that concept, but anybody, anybody, would anybody jump at the chance to have lunch with Jesus today? <laughs> All right, you can. <laughs> Invite somebody else to lunch today that you don't know. Jesus said, if you do that, do it in my name, bless somebody else, somebody that, do, you, that doesn't that maybe is new here today, maybe feeling uncomfortable, maybe awkward. Just wait. God will introduce you. God will do that. Do that for someone else, and you have fellowship together. Jesus said, it's just like doing as unto me. Physically, spiritually. We spoke of this a little last week, the discipleship, pouring into each other. Coming alongside and encouraging and, and building up, growing together in this walk. We are all children of God. we got to get, get that understanding. We're all children. Some of us are maybe a little further along in our development, but we're still all children, still all understanding how things work and, and, and moving through the process. None of us have arrived yet. It's, it's fascinating. I wonder what, what it would be like if we could actually understand the conversation of the little kids in the nursery. As they're sitting there and they're the little the gurgling and all that sort of stuff back and forth. And understand what they're saying. One of them is probably saying, man, pray for me. I'm really struggling with this whole walking thing. <laughs> Seems like every step I take, I think I got it and I let go and I take a step and bam, I'm face first down. Just pray. It's really... And the other one says, man, I, I hear you. I'll be praying for you. But I, would you pray for me on this whole potty training thing? <laughs> because... I'm really struggling, and I see the disappointment in my parents, and I don't want to disappoint them anymore, and I really want to do this. And, and then maybe one from the other side that's a little bit older is saying back to him, hey, guys, don't worry. It'll happen. It'll happen. It happens for all of us. We all, we all grow, and we all come along, and before you know it, you're going to be over here by me, and I got my big boy pants on, and I can run around, and, and everything's good, and, and we'll get there. We'll get there. Encouraging. Jesus says when we do that, it's just like we're doing it with him. What an amazing thing to understand and get a hold of. We're going to be rewarded someday as just as though we fed Jesus, just as though we encouraged Jesus. Just, wow. It's a little taste of heaven. But on the heels of that, but whoever, verse 6, whoever causes a little one to stumble. That Greek word scandalon is where we get our word scandalous. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and drown in the depths of the sea. I don't know about you, but I think that verse should be in every classroom in the country. 
stumbling blocks. He says it's inevitable. We live in a fallen world. There's going to be stumbling blocks, but Jesus says, woe to you. Make sure you're not the one that's being a stumbling block for somebody else. And he gives a very graphic illustration. How do we, how do we become stumbling blocks? How, what is that? How do we make sure that we avoid it? Well, there's so many different ways, but primarily, we need to live, we need to walk the talk. We need to live the life. We need to study, obey, live the word of God as Christians. So many watering down the word of God, denying the word of God, teaching that this isn't the word of God. Stumbling blocks. Again, the illustration, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck. Heavy millstone. I have a picture of what this word literally means. That is a heavy millstone in Capernaum, where they are. Jesus, no doubt, they actually manufactured these in Capernaum. That's one of the, the, the trades that they did. Having that tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. Not the shallow end. The depths of the sea. He's saying it's better for you for that to happen than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Again, and we have no doubt, and we, it, it's not hard to grab a hold of when we really think about it. This great love that the Father has for his children. He loves them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. Children of God. To lead one astray. And he gives us then an example in verse 8 stumbling others, but stumbling ourselves as well. Verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into the fiery hell. A couple of points really quickly. Hell is a very real place. Jesus speaks of that clearly. Those who deny the existence of hell are putting a stumbling block in front of others. It is an eternal place. It is a place of eternal torment. Mark again records for us what Jesus said, that where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, trying to give words that graphically describe something that is indescribable in its horror to us. He says areas that might cause stumbling, we are to remove them. Now, as Christians, what does this mean for us? Those who profess a faith, well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. This should be a regular part of our lives as Christians. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Examine ourselves continually placing ourselves in the scope of examination by God to say, Lord, examine me. Is there anything in me that does not please you, that is a stumbling block for me and that could be a stumbling block for others? Now, what he's giving us here in these verses is a, is a parable. It's a picture. He's not encouraging amputation or mutilation. He's, we need to look for the application in what he's saying. Your hands, what you do, is there anything in what you do for a living or what you do as a hobby that might be a stumbling block for you, that might become an idol for you, that might be a stumbling block for someone else? If it is, get rid of it. 
your feet, where you go? Are there places that you go that might be a stumbling block for you, or if others saw you going there, might be a stumbling block for them? If it is, get rid of it. Your eyes, what you see. Are there things that you look at that you are allowing in through the eye gate that goes to your very heart that cause you to stumble? If it is, get rid of it. Cut it off. Drastic measures. Jesus uses a graphic illustration to describe the the graphic nature that we need to look at. This is serious stuff. If there are things that you do If there are places that you go, if there are things that you see, if you struggle with pornography, do whatever it takes to get that out of your life. Whether that means you have the websites that you visit sent every day to an accountability partner, even if it means you have to get rid of your computer and the internet, trust me, you can live without it. We all did 20 years ago. Whatever it takes. If after work on Fridays, everybody in your office goes to happy hour and, and, and those types of things, and you know the Lord's laying it on your heart, do not go. Even if it costs you your job, do whatever it takes. Don't have those areas of stumbling in your life or areas that could stumble others. Paul, on the heels, we read in Philippians chapter 2 earlier, on the heels of that, Paul says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's an ongoing process in our lives. We are to take it seriously, and it's a two-step process. Paul writes in Romans, the night is almost gone and the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. We are to put off those things, cast them from us, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust me, your life will be far better that way. You will have far more enjoyment. You will have far more peace and joy. Putting off those things. Strife and jealousy in that list. We touched on that earlier. John, on the heels of of what he said, remember we talked about being children of God? On the heels of that, verse 3, he, he writes in 1 John chapter 3, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. That hope that we have, that, again, hope that's used 54 times in the New Testament, it's not hope that we have as, as the world looks at it. Like, I really hope the Broncos can win tonight. That b- b- Highly improbable, but I really hope that's not the hope in the Bible. The hope in the Bible is absolute assurance, the anchor for our soul. The only way to have that is to fix our eyes on him. It's again, nothing that we build up and manufacture in ourselves, but everyone who has this hope as children of God that we will stand in his presence one day and never leave 
that hope, that assurance that we have, everyone who has it, it says purifies himself as he is pure. Purifies, freedom from defilements or impurities, that word that's used to take the dross off of the gold to make it pure gold. That song, Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you. That should be the desire of everyone who has that hope. That we would be set apart completely and totally for him. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. How do we purify ourselves? By making ourselves available for the fire. We can't clean ourselves. We have to make ourselves available to be cleaned. We have to be willing to be melted down and have it taken off. Hope that does not do this is a mockery. It's deception. We desire this purity not to become children of God. That's legalism. But because we are children of God, it's a family trait as he is pure. Jesus continues back in our text, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Our guardian angels. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. We spoke earlier, clearly, the, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is God himself, and the greatest heart in the kingdom of heaven, God's heart, has a concern for the lost. We see here first, his concern for salvation for the ones who don't know the way. That he, he came to seek and to save. That is why he came, to seek out those who are lost and to save. He paid the penalty in full on the cross. He died, suffered and died in our place. It's not God's will that any should perish. Peter writes for us, the Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's God's heart. And again, if you are here today and you have never taken that step, you have never surrendered to Jesus Christ, you have never trusted in him and him alone, you've never responded to the call that he's placed on your heart, do not leave here today without doing it. You don't know if there's going to be a next time. And you know I, I, I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness in your heart right now. And, and, and believe me, nobody else in the room knows, but you do. And it's simply a matter of recognizing the situation you're in, the hopeless situation that you're in. You can't save yourself. You can't fix this problem. You are a sinner like everyone else, and your sin has separated you from eternity with God in heaven. But Jesus stepped out of heaven, lived a perfect sinless life, and died in your place. 
So you need to recognize that. You need to repent, which means to turn, as we've talked about. Turn, forsake that life of sin. Turn to Jesus and receive the free gift of salvation. That is his heart for you today. But not only salvation for the ones who don't know the way, restoration for the ones who have gone astray. Maybe you're here today and you have at one time in your life surrendered your life to Jesus, but you've fallen away. You have backslidden. You have gone back into the world. And again, maybe nobody else knows it because, man, you can play the part here, but you know during the week that what you do here is just a front. I know who I'm talking to here because I was you. I did that. I did it for a long time. And I, like you right now, was the most miserable person on the planet. You know, if you're here today and I'm talking to you, you know what I'm talking about. His desire for you today is to come back. To turn your back on that and to come back to him fully and completely. And he's not waiting with a club. He's waiting with his arms wide open. He doesn't want to punish you. He took the punishment for you already. You know that. He doesn't want you to be miserable anymore. He wants you to have the joy restored. He wants you to have your hope restored. That's his heart for you. We've done things a little different this morning. We're going to celebrate communion in a few minutes. But I'd like to have the worship team come up now, and I want to just give an opportunity to anybody here today that has never, has never received Jesus as their Savior, or again, perhaps you're here and you realize that I need to get back into that. I need to recommit my life to the Lord. I want to give an opportunity for anybody here to do that today. And again, I know that if that is the case, I'm going to ask that we're going to all in a moment, we're all going to stand, we're all going to sing together. If that is you, I'm going to ask that you come forward. And I know right now you're thinking, okay, wait a second, I knew this was coming. I don't want anything to do with that. Jesus, again, gives us the example of that child today. I'm asking you to, don't trust me. Don't trust anyone else in this room. Trust Jesus. You just, you just step out in faith and you respond to the call that he's placing on your heart. And, and you are in a room full of people who love you. If you won't do it here, you won't do it anywhere. We will, we will rejoice with the angels as you respond to that call. We have pastors and elders that will be up front here. We'd love that opportunity as we, as we sing. Just simply come. Again, if, if this is your first time or you want to rededicate your life, I'm going to set aside these couple of minutes just to ask that you would come forward. So we could turn down the lights and let's everybody stand and sing. And if that's you, please come forward.